Let's go to God in prayer before we open up our text this morning. God, we approach your throne of grace today and we um, lay ourselves at your feet. We pray for a spirit within us today that is willing to receive what you have to offer us through your word. We pray that we would be receptive to the way that your spirit would move within us, that you would come in, that you would take residence, and that you would begin to move things around in our hearts and in our minds as you see fit. And I pray, God, as you do those things, that we would not meddle in your affairs, but we would sit still to let you do the work that you need to do in us, that we may be more like you each day. And we pray, God, as we leave this place, that that we would continue to seek the guidance, the voice of your Spirit that speaks to us. The many and varied ways in which you call us to action, that we would be aware, that we would have the wisdom to discern your voice, that we would have the boldness to follow where you lead, and the courage to proclaim the good news of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. May we be a light in this world. May the lives that we lead pierce the darkness. May people know who you are by the way that we live. We thank you for Jesus, in whose name we ask these things. Amen. There's a a lot of things in, in life that we could probably disagree with and argue on, there are very few things that we could um, really all stand on the same side of, but one of those things is, is bullies. Like, we don't like bullies. Uh, and the truth is, bullies probably don't like bullies either. A lot of people who are bullies don't even realize that they are um, living in that way of life. Saul, as we're going to look at here in just a moment, was one of those people who was a, a, he was a bully. And he was a bully who thought he was doing right by God. But it's a, a cultural norm that you know, bullying just isn't good. It isn't good online. It isn't good in person. And, and a lot of times we stand up and we cheer the underdog who is going to stand in the face of, of a bully and set things right, to do things right. In fact, um, the Captain America, the first Avenger, when Steve Rogers comes out of his cryogenic freeze bath of radioactive whatever it was, I can't remember exactly how he got what he got, or a shot of some kind, probably. Um, we, we won't go there, though, right? Let's not talk about shots. Um, when, when he comes out and he is the first Avenger, They say, are you ready to go kill Nazis? He says, I don't want to kill anyone. I just don't like bullies. I don't care where they are from. Uh, And and that is kind of the way that we live. We just don't like bullies. We don't like people who take advantage of other people. We don't like people who push, push their weight around and who force people to do things they don't want to do because it fits their agenda And they don't really care how it affects other people. One of the great things, though, about the gospel of Jesus and and about the redemption that comes through God, and we see this in the life of Saul and in the life of Paul, is, is that redemption from God comes 
even to those who are living counter to his will, even from those who are hostile to his plan and to his will. In fact, early on when we come to know about the gospel, we find these words. It says, for while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And in one of the most quoted scriptures of all, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that Christ came not for good people. He didn't come for Christians. He didn't come to die for those who are already living according to his will. He came to die for those who who were living in opposition to his way and to his will. And he gave his life so that those people who were enemies of the cross would have a way to live in relationship with the Father. And so we have to resist the notion that God has come to save the clean. That God has come to save those who have their lives in order at least to some degree, so that He can get us the rest of the way. God came to redeem those who were living a life hostile to His way. And that's what we find in the book of Acts. Right When Saul comes on the scene in Acts chapter 8, we're going to look at Acts chapter 8, 9, and 26, and some pieces of those things to see the story of Saul and Paul. Right Here is Saul, and he is in Acts chapter 8, Verses 1 through 3, especially, Stephen has just been stoned because he was preaching the gospel. And chapter 8 and verse 1 says, Saul agreed with putting him to death. And on that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And here's the thing, this persecution didn't come from the Romans. It didn't come from the Greeks. It didn't come from these people whose gods they were preaching and teaching against. It came from the Jews. It came from the Pharisees. It came from their own people. He was there giving approval to the death of Stephen. And he begins persecuting the way zealously. Um, He says, on that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in chapter 8. Um, And all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. Saul, however, was ravaging the church. And he would enter house after house, dragging off men and women and putting them in prison. Right? So you see the picture, right? I mean, here is Saul, and he is going house to house, knocking on doors, taking out members, people who followed the way of Christ and putting them in prison. I don't like to think about Saul or Paul in this light. I don't don't like to think about this way of living. right? When I think of Paul, I think about the man who went on the missionary journeys. I think about the guy who gave up life, who endured floggings, who, who endured persecution, who endured shipwrecks, who endured imprisonments, and all along the way... He began writing letters to the church that we would read thousands of years later to determine what it is that God wants us to do and how he wants us to lead. But the truth is it began with a man who was living a life hostile to the way of God. Here's why I don't really like thinking about that much because of where it takes me. 
It takes me back to that time when Jesus said, if you want to be like me, you need to love your enemies. And we see that echo of the life of Christ in the life of Stephen when Stephen says, as the last stone is taking his life, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. And he echoes the words of Christ on the cross who said the same. Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they are doing. And, you know, that, that pill becomes a little easier to swallow because I see the enemies in my life and they aren't really that antithetical to my way of existence. But just a few short months ago, we looked at Christians in Afghanistan and as the United States started taking their troops out, the Taliban started taking over, and the Taliban was going door to door, just like Saul was, and he, they were sending out letters to all of the church workers, to those who were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they said, we want you to know something, we know who you are, we know where you live, and we're coming for you, right? That is what Saul was doing before Jesus appears to him on the road to Damascus. Do we have the kind of life, do we have the kind of faith, do we have the kind of connection to the gospel that would respond to a letter from the Taliban that says, knock on my door, I dare you. You may kill me, but you will not kill me without hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ first. Do we have the kind of faith that would stand in the face of that kind of persecution. These are the people whom Paul was encountering on the road to Damascus. And just days after the Damascus road event, Paul would be proclaiming the gospel. Right? If you look in Acts chapter 9, um, verse 1, now Saul was still breathing threats, murderous threats against the disciples of the Lord. And he went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus. So that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. But get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound, but seeing no one. And Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And so they took him by the hand and led him to Damascus. And then the voice of the Lord goes to Ananias, and he says, Ananias, Saul is coming to your house. And you know the fear that must have come into Ananias at that time. Why is Saul coming to my house? And the Lord says, Ananias, I want you to minister to him. And Ananias responds exactly like I would have responded. Um, hey, God, I don't know if you know or not, but this guy is doing bad things to your people. I'm not ministering to him. And God says, they, I have things to do with Saul that you can't even imagine. And the blind persecutor of the Christian people lands on the doorstep of Ananias. And Ananias welcomes him in, preaches the gospel to him, baptizes him. And a new man is born. 
And Paul begins preaching and teaching the very gospel that he was persecuting just days before. And what we see through the life that Paul leads is we see this process of transformation. But here's the thing about a process. We recognize that we are over and over and over again being transformed into the image of God, that every day we are different. But it has to begin somewhere. Right? There, there has to be a point where we make that turn. And for Paul, it is on the road to Damascus. That it is here when the light shines around him and Jesus reaches down and says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is I. I am Jesus. Are you sure you want to stand against me? I've got a better way for you. And so in this moment, Saul's life is changed. He doesn't know what it's going to mean for him. He doesn't know what lies ahead. But you know, Saul was always living his life, even as Paul, even as a minister of the gospel, as a prophet, as an apostle. He was always looking back to that way of life. And even late in his life, he would say, Oh, I am chief of sinners. You think you can't be redeemed for what you have done? Let me tell you what I've done. Let me tell you where I've been. Let me tell you the mistakes that I have made. The process of constant transformation has a genesis point. There is a place where we encounter something that we simply cannot say no to. And from that moment on, we are being renewed Daily. Johnny Cash has a a book that he wrote called The Man in White. And I love this quote that comes from it. And it's about the life of Paul. And he says, It was Saul of Tarsus, the persecutor of the followers of the Nazarene, who left Jerusalem, bound for Damascus, to find, arrest, bring to trial, and execute those who worshipped that name. And it was Paul the apostle for Jesus Christ to the world who entered Damascus a few days later. And I wonder, I wonder if there are those moments that God has wanted to use to change, to transform, to speak into our lives, but we have simply not been available to Him. And and here is Saul, he is doing the right thing, at least by his understanding of, of the will of God and the law of God. He is going and getting people who are living opposed to the law. And he's saying, you know what? You are not going to oppose my God. And then he meets his God and he realizes he has had a complete misconception, and misunderstanding of who his God was. And in that moment on the road to Damascus, Saul had a choice to make. Am I going to be available to this new information that God has given me? Or am I going to stand in my current understanding and refuse to be moved? Not even by the voice or the action of God Himself. Paul is receptive. Paul is open. I mean, can you, can you imagine? Like, like Saul's not just your average Jew. He is trained. He is educated. We see um, in in chapter 9, he says, look, you can go ask the people about who I was. Um, 
I was trained by the best. I was there. He knew all of the laws. He knew what was going on. Passionate, zealous, and intense about the way of the Lord. I don't know how receptive I would be. Um, chapter 26, I'm sorry, not chapter 9. It says, They've known me for a long time, and if they are willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. This is a massive part, not just of Paul's life, but of his very identity. And then he meets Jesus. And meeting Jesus changed everything because he was open to it. He allowed God to speak to him. He, he allowed his mind and his heart to be changed and molded by the presence of the very one he had come to persecute. Are we willing to be open to the way the Spirit would work, to the way Jesus would work in our lives? But we have a tendency to live in the past. Just like Paul did. Like, like in Paul's mind, I don't think he ever got over the fact that he put people in prison for living out the gospel that he was preaching. Paul knew the grace of God. He knew the mercy of God. But in his own mind, there was always this thing that was looming over him. And it was the way that he had lived and the things that he had done to the very people he was creating. But I want you to know something today. You aren't defined by the sins of your past. God doesn't look at your life and see all those mistakes that you have made if you are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's hard for us to imagine because we don't forget. I mean, forgive and forget is a really nice thing for us to, to say and to put away. But the truth is, we don't forget. We forgive and we remember. Um, we forgive and we remember and hopefully we say, I forgive, I remember, but I'm not holding this over you anymore. I was dealing with uh, a couple at one time and you know they were going through some uh, they would just come for for marriage advice from time to time and uh, we weren't actually getting together for marriage advice this time we were getting together just to go have some fun well i show up and they're in the middle of a knockdown drag out fight and they said i'm really sorry i really didn't want you to see this it's like oh no this is perfect I mean, refereeing a fight is one of the best ways of marriage counseling because you can really put into action the things that, that we are told to do, right? It's like, look, this started on Thursday. Actually, it probably started last week. You remember when this happened? I do remember when that happened. It's like, okay, time out. Let's go back to the week. What happened here? Let's talk about it. And we put it away. And then, well, and then on Thursday, this happened. And he goes, oh, man, I'm really sorry. I didn't know that affected you that way. Well, that's okay. But then on Friday, and then we go back to Thursday. And it's like, hold up. Didn't we put Thursday away? Like, if we put Thursday away, it's put away. And you don't have the right to hold it over his or her head any longer. 
If there's still some things we need to resolve about Thursday, let's resolve them now. Because once Thursday gets put to rest, we are done with Thursday and it doesn't come up again. We just don't do that very well. It's always in the back of our minds, like another piece of ammunition that we can pull out when we feel cornered. And somehow I think we get in our minds that that is how God sees us as well. It's like, yeah, I know that I know that you've been a Christian all of your life, and I know that you were baptized, and I know that Jesus has paid for your sins, but I remember that time where you denied me in front of all your friends, and I've forgiven you for it, but it's still a mark over here that's not in your favor, and you're going to have to do something really good to outweigh that mark. That's not what God sees. That is not what God sees. In fact, The points that we fail are not these points of shame. They are points of confidence, not not because we, we strive to fail, but because we recognize that even in the midst of our failure, the grace of God is made even more powerful and even more prominent. And in Corinthians, Paul is told, my power is made perfect in your weakness, because it is in our weakness that things are exposed and the power of God is exposed. And in Ephesians, we see that the church is painted as this beautiful image of the wisdom of God that He could even use created beings as evidence of His wisdom to the heavenly realms. Let's not kid ourselves. We don't strive for failure. I don't have to be ashamed of the failure that exists in my past because Christ has paid for all of it. Because here's the thing, when I live in shame, I tend to close myself off to those other things that are around. I tend to make myself unavailable even to the way the Spirit would move and work when I'm living in shame. My mind is closed, my head is down, and I can't see anything that's going on before me. But we walk with confidence, not because of what I'm able to do, but because of what He has already done. And when we walk with confidence, we walk and our chest is up and our head is up and we are able to see the things that lie before us. Because this is where God's power resides. That even in the midst of my failure, the Spirit of God is still alive and active and working, even in my life. Will you remain available to him while you are on your road to Damascus? Granted, you are not on the road to persecute anyone, I hope. You are not on the road to to bully people, I hope. If you are, change your road. Right? Let's, Let's meet Jesus today if you're on the path of persecution. You know, but we are on a path that has flaws in it. We are maybe going to a destination that we don't need to be going to. We're going to make some wrong turns along the way, but the question is, will you continue to remain available to the Spirit? And will you look at all those ways that you have failed in the past and not look at them with shame, but look at them as a way of proclaiming the good news of the grace and mercy of a Savior who says, yeah, man, you're messed up, but that's okay. Because I can fix it. When we remain available to the way the Spirit of God would call us, we find ourselves experiencing things that we might never have experienced before.
Get out of your plan. Get out of the things in your life that are so set in stone that you are unwilling to move them. Be available. And you will experience things that you could never have imagined. We went over Christmas. We had a little travel plan arranged. Look, when we go on vacation... We like to plan out our vacation. The reason we like to plan out our vacation is because we don't have a lot of time in usually a really big area, and we want to make sure that we see as much as we possibly can with the time that we have. And so it's planned, it's scheduled, it's structured, and we kind of know what's going to transpire. And we have maximized our time. I'm going to say our goal. It's not really our goal, my goal. I don't want to go back to a place I've visited before. There are too many places in this country and in this world to visit a place twice. Um, that's not always the case for the other people in my family. And so we will probably go back to some of the places that we've been because they really enjoy it. But if we never make it back, what are the things that we have to do that we would be satisfied if we were there? So we went to the Grand Canyon over Christmas break. And after a couple of days of skiing... After a couple of days of me sitting in a lodge with a cast on my foot, wishing I could be skiing, but having a blast watching my family enjoy their time in real powdered snow, it was pretty fun. But then we went to the Grand Canyon, and we went to the west rim of the Grand Canyon, and we're driving along, and there's this tree on the side of the road, and Heather goes, what kind of tree is that? I'm like, I don't know, but it's weird looking. And in my mind, I was thinking, is that a Joshua tree? No, it's not a Joshua tree. And so they look it up, and she goes, it's a Joshua tree. I'm like, oh. you got to take a picture by one. It's like, I'm not stopping to take a picture by a Joshua tree. And we make the turn, and as we turn, we see this sign, and it says, Joshua tree, National Forest. So we pull over. Right? we got to visit the Joshua tree, National Forest. And we do that, and then we go to the west rim of the Grand Canyon. It is gorgeous. And as we're along, we're looking, and we go to all the different points, and we're looking out, and we're talking about what to do for dinner. And we're, from this point, about three hours back to our hotel. And Heather says, you know, it's only two hours to Las Vegas. Like, well, let's go to Las Vegas. Never been to Las Vegas before. And so we went to Las Vegas to have dinner. And from Las Vegas, we were only three hours from our hotel, so we really hadn't lost any time. And along the way to Las Vegas, we're driving along Interstate 11, and she sees this sign. It says, Hoover Dam, 20 minutes. It's like, what? We have to stop at the Hoover Dam, right? And so we stopped at the Hoover Dam, and, you know, we got to see the remarkable slab of concrete that is the Hoover Dam. And then we got to see the bridge that we drove over, and it was like, oh, is there a different route to go back home? There's not. It's a cheesy little story. But that's really not like me. Like once the plan is put into place, we're going to stick with the plan. right? We thought about it, we mapped it out, and this is the way to get the maximum stuff out of the time that we have. But if we hadn't have been willing to be flexible, we would have missed some things. And maybe we'll see them someday in the future. Maybe not. When I put pictures and sent it to my family, my brother asked me, he said, did you ever stop to change clothes? I was like, dude, that was one day. 
Like one day we did all of those things just simply by being available to not being stuck in my own idea of what the perfect day would look like. And trust me, the Spirit of God wants to show you things much more beautiful than the Las Vegas Strip and much more powerful than the Hoover Dam and much more life-changing than a family vacation. But we have to be willing to be available to Him all day, every day, to stop living life walking in shame because of the choices that we've made, because of the flaws that we have, because of the failures that we live with, to, to, to stop spending our life looking at our toes, wondering, woe is me, why would God love me? And start walking with the confidence that says, not only does he love me, he gave his life for me. And he would do it all over again if he was asked to. To live a life that remembers a story in Luke 15 of a father whose son had walked away, who is desperately looking out the window day after day after day, saying, will today be the day my son comes home? And who runs out to meet him with open arms. And greets him with a kiss and a party. To live a life of confidence. Open and seeking. The way the Spirit would lead and move in your life.